Amen. Do you have your Bibles? Come on, let's turn them on. Where are my paperback Bible people at? Come on, put your Bible in the air like you just do care. Let me see it. All right. We're in Joshua chapter 24. Everybody say OT. Old Testament. All right. My grandpa, I was talking to my grandpa on the phone the other day, and he's like, you ever preach sermons out of the Old Testament? I was like, man, grandpa, I feel like that was a stray shot you took at me, man. So we're going to the Old Testament today, really excited. Joshua chapter 24. Uh, this is the tail end of Joshua's life. If you aren't familiar with Joshua, uh, Joshua is actually the leader of the Israelite people at this time in the Bible, uh, the same Israelite people that lived as slaves in the land of Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh, uh, the same people that Moses, uh, God used Moses to lead out of Egypt, to, you know, cross through the Red Sea, out into the wilderness, the same Israelite people who experienced manna, which was like a chicken mini falling from heaven every morning, uh, the same Israelite people that spied out the promised land and decided that it was too scary because of the giants that were living in the land. These are the same Israelite people. They've gone through this crazy journey, and they finally are now living in the promised land, the land that they left Egypt to get to, the land that God promised them. They're now in it, and everybody's celebrating except for one man, the Israelite leader, Joshua. We're going to pick up Joshua 24, verse 14. This is what it says. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Come on, how many of you, you, your mom has that in your bathroom or, or had it in your bathroom growing up, that scripture? Okay, uh, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. All right, now this is where it gets a little interesting. All right, they say we will serve the Lord. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Verse 21, but the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these moments. We don't take them for granted. We ask that you would speak to us right now through your holy word. We love you. We're so excited that you're here with us on this Sunday morning. Thank you for the gift of an extra hour of sleep last night. And everybody said, Amen. I love the extra hour the day after it happens. I hate the extra hour when it's dark at 3.30. <laughs> There's a fight for your house. There's a fight for your house. Uh, I remember when Maddie and I, we got engaged and we were working towards the wedding day, planning out the wedding and um, we've been saving up our money in anticipation for getting married. And 
Uh, I was living in Cleveland, Tennessee, and Maddie was living in Birmingham, Alabama. Where's my Cleveland, Tennessee excited people at? Let's go. Let's go. Um, and so we were getting uh, excited for the wedding, and we actually ended up purchasing a little uh, townhouse in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so I actually got to move into the townhouse three months before we got married while my wife was still living with her family in Birmingham, Alabama. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, hey, don't worry, I'll get the place situated. I'll get the place decorated. And so I don't know if her expectations for my decorations uh, matched what she saw the first time she walked in the house before our wedding day. But when she walked in, our living room looked like this. I had a 40-inch TV sitting on the floor plugged into the outlet. There was no TV stand. There was no piece of furniture. It was just the TV up against the, the wall plugged into the outlet. Across from the TV, I had one leather chair. I couldn't afford two. I had one. Next to the leather chair, in case we had guests coming over, I had a computer chair. I'm talking about with the wheels, you know what I'm saying, right next to the leather chair. That was it. There was, no, there was no dining room table. There was no coffee table. Maddie walked in. She was like, where are people supposed to eat? I was like, babe, I am glad you asked. I was like, you see these plush pillows? You can put a plate right on top of them, right? She, she had this look on her face like she wasn't too pleased. And so I was like, wait till you see the master bedroom. <laughs> the only bedroom. <laughs> uh, wait till you see the bedroom. And so I take her into the bedroom, and, and I was so excited because uh, I had set up a bed in our bedroom. And if, if you know anything about me, then you know that uh, tools are my arch nemesis. Uh, Home Depot is the scariest place in the land in my life. And so she walked into this bed that was already set up. I didn't tell her my friend did it for me and I paid him $50, but uh, she walked in to a set up bed in the corner of the room. Then in the left corner of the room, across from the bed where you would put like I don't know, a dresser or maybe a TV or something of that nature. I had 32, this is a true story, 32 plastic bins stacked on top of each other, see-through plastic bins that I affectionately called my shoe houses. Yeah, 32 pairs of shoes pre-marriage. I'm down to like six post-marriage because, you know, things happen. Uh, you have to buy furniture for that house and stuff like that. But I had 32 pairs of shoes color-coordinated. I had the red shoes fading into the orange shoes, fading into the blue shoes. And I look over at Maddie and I'm like, man, she's going to love this decoration. I was shocked to see not a look of admiration, but a look of disgust on my wife's face. I was like, girl, you don't appreciate art? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's wrong with you? But I remember her saying this. She, she kind of laughed and she, you know, it was all in good fun. She wasn't mad or anything. But I remember her saying, babe, this is not going to be our house. This is not going to be our house. I want to talk to you today about your house because there is a fight for your house. In Joshua 24, there was a fight for the houses of Israel. You see, they had gone through the wilderness, and they had their ups and downs in the wilderness. There were times that they were faithful to God. There were times that they weren't faithful to God. But for the most part, things were really hard, and for decades and decades and decades, these people had to depend on God. Eventually, they get to the promised land. They're in the promised land, and something has shifted very quickly. In the wilderness, they were dependent on God. But in the promised land, they became dependent on themselves very quickly. In the wilderness, their passion was for the Lord. But in the promised land, their passion was 
for things. In the wilderness, it was all about God. But in the promised land, it was all about success, blessings, destinations. And Joshua, while his people are celebrating, he's getting really nervous because Joshua knows his time is short. He's an old man in Joshua 24. He knows that he's going to go and die and, and be in heaven soon, but he cares for his people. And so he takes the time to have this farewell address, and he's urging them. He's saying, do not forget what got you here. Better yet, do not forget who got you here. You know what I've realized? I think it's, a, it's actually easier for most of us to be dependent on God in the hard seasons of life. It actually is. Because where else can you turn? If you know God is Lord and Savior of your life, when things get hard, you're like, the only thing I can do is trust God. The only thing I can do is worship God. The only thing I can do is pursue Jesus in this moment because I have nowhere else to turn. But it's in the moments of success that I have found that the devil loves to sneak in. Because in the moments of success, you start to think, I can do this without God. You start to think, maybe, just maybe, the world does have some stuff to offer me. And very quickly, your priority goes from it is only God to it is only God plus some things. Plus the job, plus the money, plus the success, plus the fame, plus the fill in the blank. This is the place that the Israelites find themselves in. And Joshua is saying, as for me and my house, we will continue to serve the Lord. I really believe what God is looking for in our life, in our families, is for some houses of God to go in the good times, in the bad times, on the mountaintops, in the valleys, in the middle. As for me and my house, God will stay the priority. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, he will be my prize, not the destination. It's not about the promised land. It's about the presence of God. It's not about what God can get to me. It's about what God is doing inside of me. God is my prize. There was a fight for the house. Today, there's a fight for your house. In fact, I would go as far as to say there's a war for your house. There's a battle going on for your house. I think sometimes I have a bad habit of exaggerating. I'm not going to lie. I exaggerate things, but I don't think I'm exaggerating this today. I really do think there's an all-out war for your house. We live in a time where modern society is doing everything that it can to dismantle the biblical model of the house. The biblical model of the family is now called oppressive. One partner for life is seen as restrictive instead of the blessing that it really is. Hollywood regularly displays dads as incompetent, lazy, dumb, uninvolved, and abstract. Hollywood regularly displays women in a way that highlights their sexuality above everything else. Our world tells our kids that there is no such thing as truth. In fact, if you don't like the way that God made you, just go make yourself something else. This is what our world is saying. We live in a time where it has become socially tolerant to serve any God as long as it is not the God of the Bible. I'm telling you, there is a house. There is a fight, a war, a battle for your house. The world is fighting for your house. Are you? There's a battle for this house, for the house of God. I'm telling you, unlike any time in human history, there is a battle for the house of God. There is a lie right now going around that you can preach the Bible but edit the Bible. There's pressure for churches to rewrite rewrite the words of Jesus to be more socially acceptable. 
There's a growing sentiment that the house of God should be known for its tolerance more than its truth. There's a lie running wild that if preachers preach the Bible, they cannot still be a church that loves people. There is a battle for the house of God, and I want you to hear it on week nine at Way Church, that we will be a church that preaches every word of the Bible in its entirety. We will be a church that declares we will serve the Lord. We will be a church that says that we can love people and talk about the truth of God's word, that we can serve others and we can stand up for what we believe God is saying to his people through his word. We will be a church that says, as for Way Church, we will serve the Lord. There's a battle for this house, and we're going to fight. There's a battle for your house. Are you going to fight? Now, this is where all the single people check out. Where are my single people at? Come on, there's more of you than that. I see you. We see you. You know what I mean? I was at a a youth conference uh, yesterday in Virginia preaching, and um, it's like 2,000 high schoolers at this at this conference, and I'm standing in the back, and I'm just watching these these single people uh, worship God. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just got to tell you this. And, uh, I'm watching these single people worship, but they're also like like these girls are also kind of checking out the dudes behind them. You know what I mean? And uh, just made me think. Uh, the story I always tell is like it's sometimes not you guys, not the single people at Way Church, but sometimes single people at church like they'll, they'll be worshiping God, but they always use their left hand to. To praise, praise God. They're like, hey, I'm worshiping God, but there is no ring on this finger. Do you see, do you see the space on his hand? You know? I think the temptation for the single people today would be to check out of this message. Because it's only God for my family. And maybe you're here and, and you're single and you know, you're living on your own. You've got a lot of single people that go to Way Church. I don't want you to check out because your house is, is still a house if it's just you. Just like many people, their home grows over time. Your home may or may not grow over time, but right now, even if it's small, even if it's just you, it's still a house, and you have a decision to make. Who will you serve? The second reason I don't want you to check out today if you're single is because who you serve in this season impacts what will happen in your next season. And so if you say, hey, I have a dream, I have a desire to get married one day, and and your dream and desire is that you and your spouse will serve the Lord together, it will not happen if you don't serve together in your singleness. If you're here today and and you're married and and you have a desire to have a family, and you want your family to to grow up in the house of the Lord and to serve the Lord, but but God is not a priority in your marriage, well, it's not going to happen because uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, as a man sows, he also reaps, which simply means... Where you're putting your time, where you're putting your money, where you're putting your efforts and your attention in this season is actually leading to a harvest that you'll reap in your next season. God is looking for single people and married people and families to say, in this season, I will serve the Lord. In the next season, I will serve the Lord. In every season, I will serve the Lord. Where are you sowing in this season? I did some research. I went on Google. I found a study done by Lifeway Research really interesting study on the house. When a single adult attends church two times a month, there is an 88% chance that they will also attend church and be a part of God's house when they get married. I'm not good at math, but 88% seems pretty high. So if you're single and you want to serve the Lord in your house in the future, serve the Lord in your house now. When mom attends church two times a month with her kids, just mom and the kids, 33% of the time, their kids will also choose to attend church when they become adults. When dad attends church two times a month or more with the kids, 
62% of the time, their kids will choose to serve the Lord when they're adults. When both parents attend church two times a month, there is an 84% chance that their kids will continue to serve the Lord as adults. What I'm trying to show you is where you sow, you will reap. That your house is watching what you do in this season to make a decision what they're going to do in the next season. Where, are you, where is your house sowing today? Joshua was telling the people, you have a choice on who you can serve. It's the same choice that Paul talked about all throughout the New Testament when he said, you can sow into your flesh or you can sow into your spirit. You can serve the world or you can serve God, but there is no middle ground. You have to be all in or you have to be all out, which is why Joshua says what he says in verse 19. I'm reading this and, and I was like, man, this is so awesome. Joshua's taking a stand for the Israelite people. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then these people, they respond and they go, well, of course we're going to serve the Lord. We, we can't forget what God did for us in Egypt. Of course we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says this in verse 19. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. What Joshua was saying here, this is a weird response, but what he was saying is you claim to serve God with your lips, but your lives tell another story. He was saying, you say God's the priority, but when you look at your life, that's not the case. And we serve a God who's jealous. He's either going to have all of you or he's going to have none of you. The Bible says that, that, uh, that people who are playing in between, it's like lukewarm water, that God will spit them out of his mouth. You have to be all in or all out. And so Joshua sees these people and he's like, you say God's the priority, but he's really just an option. God doesn't want that kind of a worship. I mean, Joshua's stepping on some toes. In Joshua 24, his farewell address was a roast. I mean, this was, this was not the hoorah speech. This was the I'm coming for your grill kind of a speech. I wonder what Joshua would say to his church in 2023. You say God's the priority, but you read the news more than you read the Bible. You say God's number one, but your joy is more attached to a football team than Jesus. Man, that was kind of for me. I'm not going to lie. I got to work on that. Go dogs. Don't leave. Don't leave. You say God is number one, but if your kid has a game on Sunday, that becomes a priority instead of church. You say God is the priority, but you only are a part of church when it's convenient. You say God is number one, but your screen time... Isn't it crazy how screen time lights up right when you're in church? I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit knew, you know? The Holy Spirit knew. I, every Sunday, I'm sitting right over here, and it pops up, and I just turn my phone over. I'm like, babe, don't look at it. I'm working on it, you know? What would Joshua say to us? Is God the priority in your life just in your lips, or is he the priority in your life with your calendar, with your time? with your resources. Why does this matter so much? It matters because your actions are speaking to your entire house. And if God is not the priority in your life, do not be surprised if God becomes optional in your house. What is tolerated in one generation quickly becomes accepted in the next generation. 
And so if your kids or, or your spouse sees that God is not the priority, guess what happens over time? God doesn't become the priority in their life. In fact, God just becomes something that's irrelevant in their life. We have to fight right now for our house. I cannot think of something that is worthwhile fighting for more than my house. Keeping God the main thing. Fighting for holiness. Fighting for God to, to have my time. Fighting to be in the house of the Lord. Fighting to serve. Fighting to go to small group. Fighting to worship God. Fighting in my prayer closet. God, you're not just another option. You're the only option. It is only God for my house. It is only God for me. This is the point of today's message. Who is your house serving? There are four things that I think you can check to see who you're serving really quickly. Number one, what you talk about most reveals who you're serving. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, if your heart is full of Jesus, you'll talk about him often. To the contrary, if your heart is full of other things, you will talk about those things often. Who do you talk about the most? Number two, what you think about most reveals who you serve. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What do you think about? Your thoughts are leading your life in a direction. Do you like the direction that you're headed in? Check your thoughts. Number three, where do you spend your time? When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like how you spend your time. How are you spending your time? Who has the priority in your life? Look at how you spend your time. Number four, where do you spend your money? Which kingdom is your money building? Do you have money or does money have you? Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of the, the reasons so many people here at Way Church have started tithing. It really is amazing. And um, every year, I just want to say this, I, I, I want you to know that at Way Church, uh, we want to be very, very honest, very open about where your tithe money and your offering money goes. And so every year, at the end of the year, we will do a Sunday night gathering where you can come in here, and I am literally, it's going to be like a business meeting, I will literally walk through where every dollar that was given to Way Church goes, so that you can see that where you're giving is not, it's not just disappearing in a pastor's pocket, it's not just disappearing in some shady way, it's actually all either being uh, a way to fuel the ministry of Way Church, or it's being sent to do ministry somewhere else. We want you to see it. We believe that that meeting will make you want to give more to Way Church, not less. And so that's, that's what we're going to do at Way Church, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this Only God offering, is so that we can show people that we're a church that cares about other people, that we're a church that cares about other ministries. And when we give with our money, we're actually declaring to the Lord, you're who I serve, not my money, not my finances. And I trust you with all of it. So these are the four things. Um, here at Way Church, uh, we have the best way coordinators on the planet, way, uh, way kids coordinators. We have a photo of them. They were in the first service. They're serving in this This is Dylan and Maggie Solomon. And uh, Dylan and Maggie are special people. If you've never met them, even if you don't have kids, you should meet them. These are some of my favorite people on the planet. They got involved with our church back in January of this year at our first interest gathering that we did in downtown Nashville. We did this interest gathering with donuts. How many of you were at the first ever Way Church interest gathering? Come on, the OG's in the room. Let's go. Um, so we did this gathering, and we met the Sollers. My wife and I 
met this young couple, and we were so blown away. They just exude Jesus and everything that they do. And we immediately, we get in the car, and we just could not stop talking about this couple. And uh, over the next couple months, we started getting to know them even better. Around that time, we started praying about who's going to lead the kids' ministry here at Way Church. And um, God just kept putting this couple on our heart over and over and over again. And they're really young. And so we were a little nervous. I was like, God, are you sure? You know, like this couple, they're super young. But the more we got to know them, the more we realized that this couple is not just a couple that is excited and charismatic. This is a a couple that's spirit-filled. They know their Bible. They're some of the smartest Bible people that I've ever met. These are people that God is using in crazy ways. Dylan is the one who actually led our I Love Nashville Day yesterday where we fed 12,000 meals, we packed 12,000 meals. He's the one who led that whole day. Uh, Maggie serves at a college ministry that's on over 300 college campuses around the country. She's the main curriculum writer. I mean, this couple is incredible. And so we asked them to serve our kids here at Way, at Way Church. And I'm telling you this because at Way Church, we don't believe in child care. We actually believe in child discipleship. And so when your kids come to Way Church, they're not just being taken care of so you can get a break. They're being poured into because we believe that this house will serve the Lord, that your kids will serve the Lord, that they need to be equipped to follow Jesus. But with all that being said, they only get so much time with your kids. So this week... I filled this jar with gumballs, and the gumballs in this jar represent how many hours from ages six weeks old to ages 18 your kids will be in the house of the Lord if they come to Way Church every single Sunday for 17 years and 48 weeks, or whatever the math is. Math. Okay, this is, this is how often they will be discipled at Way Church. This other jar that weighs significantly more is the amount of time, if you're a parent, you get to spend with your kid between six weeks and 18 years old that doesn't include sleeping time, uh, sports time, school time. This is the time that they're at home with you in their lifetime. And the reason I wanted to show this to you, those of you who have kids, those of you who don't have kids yet, I want to show this to you because what you do at home actually matters. Jesus cannot be something that we do on Sundays. He has to be a person that we follow on a daily basis. Your kids need to hear you pray. Your kids need to watch you worship on a Monday, not just on a Sunday. Your kids need to be reminded of scripture. We were at some friend's house uh, last week and they have four kids under four. All right, we're going to pray for that family. (laughs) And we're sitting there talking, and their four-year-old son comes up and goes, Mommy, listen. Mommy, listen. And starts quoting scripture from the book of Philippians. Four years old. I was like, hey, can you guys write a parenting book? I was like, how did that kid know that scripture? And she was like, oh, every single week our kids memorize scripture. And every single week, we celebrate them for doing it. We take time before dinner for them to practice Scripture. That's what this jar should look like. I'm sowing seeds of Scripture. I'm sowing seeds of worship. I'm sowing seeds of discipleship. I'm showing my kids, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It starts at home. I love our church so much. One of the reasons I I love our church so much is because we have so many families who are living this out. Can we show um, the next photo? This is Jake and Raven still. Jake and Raven Raven moved here from Boulder, Colorado. They didn't know anybody here. 
Uh, they literally were a part of an amazing church that our friends lead. They were there for five years, helped plant this church in Boulder, Colorado. And they felt God speak to them and say, you're supposed to go help plant Way Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And they got up and moved across the country, moved here this past April, and they've been a part of our church ever since. They, they have so many amazing qualities, but my favorite thing about Jake and Raven, they have two little girls, one who's two years old and the other one who's five months old. And this family, literally every single Sunday, gets here at 7 a.m. with both kids to serve the Lord. I'm just going to tell you, I got kids the exact same age as them. You want to talk about a fight for the house? <laughs> that is a fight for the house. Two weeks ago, during our team huddle, Jake leads our team huddle most Sundays. And um, it's, it's just where all of our waymakers come in here before you guys get here. We just pray for you. Did you know that we have a team that prays for you, that serves you, that loves you? Come on, let's make some noise for the waymakers. <laughs> We're standing in here, and their two-year-old daughter is standing over here next to Maddie and I. Their dad is on stage exhorting the team, encouraging the team through scripture. Their mom is down here lifting her hands in worship, and their two-year-old lifts her hands. That's fighting for your house. That's, that's fighting for future right there. Listen, they have no control over whether or not their kid ends up following Jesus at 18, 19, or 20. But what they can do is allow their kid to watch them serve the Lord. Yep. This, this is fighting for your house. Next picture. This is, uh, the next photo is the Stefan family. Stefan family. Come on, make some noise for the Stefan family. We got Tony, Melissa, Elizabeth, Ashley, and Kate. This family moved here from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico this past summer. They were a part of a church that uh, I've preached at a couple times, and their pastor said, hey, you should check out this new church in Nashville. And so this family comes. And uh, they came to one of our last gatherings before we launched. We had these little worship gatherings. We called them Church Before Church during the summer. Was anybody at Church Before Church? Woo! Come on. Um, and so they came to one, and we went out to eat with them that week. And we would go out to eat with the whole family, and we're talking with them, and it was this amazing time of, of fellowship. And we get in the car, and I turned to Maddie, and I was like, there's no way they're going to be a part of our church. I was like, this is too good to be true. They're, they're way too good. Like, like I, just, I just don't know if this is going to happen. And um, a part of that dinner conversation that we had with them is they said, hey, we really love what we see at Way Church, and we've been trying to find a place since we moved here a couple months ago. Um, well, we just want you to know that if we're a part of Way Church, we're going to be all in. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, well, if we're going to be a part, that means we're going to serve. We're going to be there early. We're going to stay there late. We're going to be a part of community. Like, we're going to go all in in the house of God because we have seen what that does for our family. And at the dinner table... Uh, Kate, who is one of my favorite people, she's sitting right over here. I'm embarrassing you. We just wait, okay? We just wait. This is Kate. Kate serves as a producer of our services. She keeps everything going. I'm giving, I'm making it hard for her today because I'm already over time a little bit. But uh, Kate uh, spoke up at the table and she said, "Yeah, I agree because I've noticed that I'm better when I'm serving the Lord." Amen. There's this quote that I heard this week that says, "Your kids will do what you tell them to do." until they're about 15 or 16 years old. And at that point, your kids will do what you show them to do. What I love about their story is their kids are now at the age where they're wanting to do what their parents showed them to do. Yeah. Come on, that's amazing. One more photo, one more photo. Um, next photo, this is the Ellis family. Come on. This is Robin and Rob. That's their daughter, Abigail, on the left. This is their son, Luke, right here. And then um, I like to call Jamie their adopted son right here because uh, 
I met Jamie through the Ellis's. Is that okay to call you their dogs? Yeah. Um, so, um, and then in Jamie's arms is their granddaughter, Millie. And uh, the Ellis's are such a gift to our church. They're such a gift to my life. And what they have done in our life, among other things, has encouraged us that following Jesus can be a generational thing. And it's just been so amazing to watch how every week the Ellis's come in and serve. Their kids come in and serve. Last week, Rob, he, he serves on our security team. And last week, Rob is at the front door holding his grandbaby, making sure that our church is safe on a Sunday morning. I mean, I just cannot think of something more fulfilling than getting to go to church and watch your kids serve the Lord. I'm sharing these stories with you, not because these are examples of perfect families. They will tell you we're not a perfect family. Uh, That's not why I'm doing this. I'm sharing these stories with you to encourage your faith and let you know that our world doesn't need perfect houses. We need houses that are prioritizing a perfect God, going, we're not perfect, but he is. We're not holy, but God is holy. If we can follow Jesus together, there is a chance that our entire house will serve the Lord. This is what we're called to do at Way Church. Part of my story is I grew up in a pastor's home, and um, my parents, they to this day love Jesus, serve the Lord. Very thankful for that. I know not everyone gets to grow up in a home like that. I remember when I was about six years old, I started waking up to the sound of my mom praying for me and my little sister. Five o'clock in the morning, my mom downstairs in our house in Tampa, Florida, just praying over me. I mean, I can still I can still recite some of the prayers that she would pray on a daily basis. God, I pray for Noah. I pray that he would be a leader and not a follower. God, I pray that he would be bold for Jesus. God, I pray that when he speaks, that people would listen to him and that he would be able to speak with clarity. I grew up with a lisp and a stutter and I had a bunch of speech impediments. And so my, my mom would literally pray for my speech. Like I remember waking up hearing her. I'm not just talking about a 30-second prayer. I'm talking about a 20, 30-minute prayer, praying for me. I remember hearing my dad. My, my dad pastored an amazing church in Tampa, Florida. I remember my dad, he, he's a great preacher, but he's actually a great singer. And I remember sometimes he would close the door in his bedroom, and he would just start singing to the Lord. Nobody listening, no audience, not trying to do it so, so that we would hear him. No, he was just going to seek the face of the Lord by himself. My dad got in a bad accident when I was about 15 years old. Um, It led to severe damage in his spine. And my parents didn't have health insurance. And so they couldn't afford for him to have back surgery. And for 10 days, my dad was on pain medication. And literally to the point of screaming, yelling. I mean, it it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And he didn't want to go to the hospital. For 10 days, I would watch him wrestle. And on the 10th day, my dad in his bed, screaming in pain, just started singing, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Just started singing that song. My dad was literally miraculously healed in our bedroom as he worshiped God through pain. It was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. A part of my story is I grew up in this house that served the Lord. But by the time I was 16 years old, I decided I wasn't going to serve the Lord. Bunch of, it's a whole other story. I don't have time to tell it to you. But I, I ran from God. In college, I ran from God. At 21 years old, I hit my lowest low. So in college, I was depressed, struggling with all these different things, all these different addictions. And I remember sitting in my college dorm room, not knowing where to turn, and remembering my mom and where she turned when she was at her low points. Remembering my dad, where he turned when he was at his low points. 
What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you today is you have, if you have people in your life, in your house, who are not following Jesus, it is not too late for that person. It is not too late for your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad or your grandparents or your cousins or whoever it is in your house. It is not too late. The seeds that you're sowing now, I am believing only God is going to get the credit for this, but God is going to come and bring salvation to your house. You got to keep praising. You better keep praying. You better keep worshiping. You better keep making God the priority of your house because your house is watching you. I am a testament of a house that decided we're going to serve the Lord even when our kid doesn't. We're going to serve the Lord even when there's no hope. We're going to serve the Lord because what we are believing is that God is going to do something that only God can get the credit for. Will you stand with me? If you're here today and you have somebody in your family that isn't following Jesus, it's a burden on your heart, will you just raise your hand? So, yeah, look at all these people. Something that, uh, that I did last week is I, I just opened a little note on my phone and I titled it Only God. And I'm putting things in there that require God to move. There's people in here who've reached out and asked Maddie and I to pray for certain things. We've got them listed on there. There's things in our life that we've written down. There's things for our church that we've written down. I'd encourage you to do that, that same thing. Write the name of these people we're about to pray for on that list. And let's just revisit it. I'm believing that by the time we get to the end of this series, we are going to have testimony after testimony after testimony of miracles, not things that are just coincidences, miracles that have happened because of your faith and believing God to do what only he can do. You believe that? Come on, let's just pray for these people right now.